Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out tonight. I hope you all have had a good week so far. I think we have officially hit summer, haven't we? I think it was about 90 degrees today. Um, but uh, thank you for coming out. I hope you get a blessing and encouragement from our time together tonight in the Word and, and praying together. Uh, let's go before the Lord and uh, just ask His blessings on our time of Bible study tonight. Our Father in heaven, we want to praise you and thank you for the way that you have sustained us as the Almighty Creator. We thank you that everything that we have is a gracious gift from you. Uh, Lord, I pray that tonight, as we gather together as your people, that you would open our eyes and ears to hear and to understand your word, and uh, that uh, you would also open our hearts to receive it and to put it into practice in our lives. I pray your blessings, Father, on the rest of our congregation uh, who are not here tonight and may be watching uh, at home. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless them this evening. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the, the truth and the privilege that we have to study it tonight. Lord, bless this time. May your name be honored in it. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we started walking through uh, the book of Ruth. And Ruth is one of those books in the Bible that it just resonates with people. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why it resonates with people so much is because it is a fantastic story. Uh, it is, it, you couldn't come up with a better story if you were writing a fiction novel. But then on top of that, it's real history. So it is a real event, real history, real people. And the way that the author writes the book of Ruth and, and weaves certain things in and out and different literary elements, it is really a, a literary craft um, of handiwork. And it is a beautiful book. And it communicates some incredibly profound truths uh, regarding our faith as Christians. And so we've started to walk through this small book of Ruth together. And uh, we've looked at verses 1 through about verse 14. And I think if we could kind of summarize what we've, what we've looked at so far, uh, we might could say that the first five verses of Ruth are about loss. Uh, Ruth and her husband, Elimelech, they, they don't have any food. There's a famine. So they have to go to Moab. So they lose their culture. They lose their home. They lose what is normal to them, a complete disruption of life. Uh, but then they get to Moab, and uh, Elimelech dies. So you have the loss of the patriarch of the family, the husband and father. Uh, you have um, both of their sons, Malon and Kilion. They marry Moabite women while they're there in Moab. Both Malon and Kilion die before you get to verse 5. And so in the first five verses of Ruth, you have incredible loss. And you're left at, in verse 5 with three widows, who in, in that particular setting in the ancient world was a very vulnerable position to be in. And then add on top of that the very opening phrase of Ruth that says it was in the days of the judges, not not a banner time for the nation of Israel during the time of the judges. So ruin and chaos and, and then loss, disappointment, frustration, tragedy, calamity, grief is really what opens the story. 
And then last week, we spent our time in verses 6 through 14. And really, most of that passage is a back-and-forth exchange between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And basically, Naomi expressing to them, I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing to offer you. If you, uh, they set out on the road together to go back to Judah, to go back to Bethlehem, because graciously they had heard that the Lord provided bread again. So the house of bread, Bethlehem, had bread again, because the Lord was faithful and provided. They heard that news, and they're heading back home, but Naomi, uh, maybe before they get too far down the road, Naomi realizes the, the prospects for these two young women and basically says to them, there's no guarantee for you. There's no guarantee for you if you come back with me to Bethlehem, you, you may be a widow the rest of your life. No guarantee for you. It's a new culture, it's a new language, and Naomi can speak from experience to that, can't she? I know what it's like to go to a new culture, to a new people, to come in as a foreigner, as a stranger, and that's going to be difficult for you. There's no guarantee that you'll be able to find a husband there. There's no guarantee that I can provide for you there. You're better off staying here and going back to your home, going back to your mother's house and getting a husband here in Moab, remarry and have children here and just stay here. Let your life be here. And it seems that as she's doing this, she does, I think, have the interests of her daughters-in-law in mind. Stay here, it'd be better for you here. But also, I think, to a certain degree, Naomi feels uh, cursed. And, and if they come with her, maybe they will continue to experience the bad hand that she feels like that she's been dealt from the hand of providence. And so she says, stay here. You don't want to come with me. And she makes a statement in verse 13, I believe. She says, it is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Almighty has dealt very harshly with me, very bitterly with me. And so she feels the weight of the calamities. And she recognizes the, the providential hand of God in it all. But she doesn't yet see how it's good. But at the very end of verse number 14, we get just a small glimpse that there's some light for Naomi. And it's the very last phrase of verse 14 when it says, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi is going to go back home, or I'm sorry, uh, Orpah is going to go back home because that's what Naomi had said. Go back home, stay here, find a husband here in Moab. Orpah, they hug, they kiss, they weep. Or believes. But Ruth said, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you through thick and thin, through everything she clung to her. And in the few verses that we're going to focus our attention on tonight, I think we see love and loyalty. So if loss and loneliness characterize verses 1 through 14, Ruth shines forth brightly in verses 15 through 18 as someone demonstrating love and commitment, faithfulness, loyalty to Naomi. And here's the thing, even though she had no obligation to do so. 
She had no legal obligation to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. It would have been fine legally, you know, according to Moabite law, as far as I can tell from the law of Moses, for her to stay there in Moab. She was under no binding obligation. But of her own accord, she said, I'm sticking with you. I am going with you. And as in verses 16 and 17, we probably have in all the Bible one of the most profound descriptions of personal commitment and loyalty that you will find. Love and loyalty. And so in verse 14, we see the end of Naomi and Orpah's relationship with one another. They part ways. And that is the last time that we see Orpah in the book of Ruth. So um, she leaves, she goes away, she goes back home, and uh, she serves as kind of a a foil, a contrast to Ruth. Uh, Orpah is, uh, to kind of jump ahead in the story a little bit, Orpah serves the same role in the story that the unnamed kinsman serves in chapter 4. So Orpah is the foil to Ruth. The unnamed kinsman in chapter 4 is the foil to Boaz. So these two uh, kind of uh, periphery characters uh, serve to further highlight and emphasize the supreme character of Ruth and Boaz. And so Orpah goes back home, kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. This is a really interesting word, clung. Uh, it, it, for lack of a, another way of describing it, it literally means to be glued to someone, to cleave to someone. It's not used that often in the Hebrew Bible. The, the other time that is very prominently used is in Genesis 2.24. So shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife be glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the kind of commitment, loyalty, that Ruth is expressing here to Naomi. And some have suggested, I read this in one commentary, and it's an interesting thought, that in, even, even in the use of this word, it perhaps shows Ruth's willingness to trade the prospects of marriage in Moab which, was, which would probably be more of a certain thing if she were to stay in Moab. She's trading the, the prospects of marriage for her loyalty and commitment to Naomi. And that word signifies that commitment. I'm going with you no matter what. She clung to her. And in verse number 15, Naomi takes one more stab at it to say, no, you got to stay here. There's, there's nothing for you if you come with me. She says, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Some have found some trouble with Naomi's words here when she's encouraging Naomi to go back to her gods. Why would a faithful Yahweh worshiper follower of the Lord, tell anybody to go back and worship your gods, your false gods. 
And uh, a couple of the commentaries I read suggest that, that Naomi, in spite of her faith, her commitment to the Lord, still is a product of the context of her time, in which very much so, especially during the time of the judges, uh, it, was, it was a morally shaky time during the time of the judges. And also the prevailing dominant view in the ancient world at that time was that gods were territorial. So, so for example, uh, in the polytheistic worldview of Canaan, of Moab, of the Midianites, they would see themselves as worshiping many gods, but they would have one god that was special, kind of their patron god, that was viewed as like the defender of their land. And so maybe Naomi, she has faith in the Lord, but she's not perfect in that faith. And not perfect in her understanding of the fact that um, she needs to be a witness for the Lord, no matter where she is, and seek to draw people to her. And also remember at this time that Naomi feels the weight of the Lord's hand on her. Uh, this, is, this is a shaky time for Naomi in her walk with the Lord, in her faith. But interestingly enough, in that very context, in that very moment, where Naomi's faith seems the weakest in the whole book of Ruth, Ruth's comes across the strongest. And, and Ruth says to Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. And so in verse number 16, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Basically, you stop talking to me about going back home because you're wasting your breath. Stop urging me to go back uh, to... Um, stop urging me to go back uh, to uh, my people. I, I'm staying with you no matter what. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And so she is issuing here a commitment of loyalty that says in, the, in this language, I'm not going anywhere. Where you go, I will go. Now, let's start to break this down and, and flesh out the level of commitment that Ruth is making to Naomi here. Where you go, I will go. Well, where were they going? At that very moment, they're maybe just outside the gates of their town or their village when they've set out down the road. What lies ahead of them is a treacherous journey, a long journey. And it could very well be that, that they weren't just two widows walking down the road to Bethlehem. It could very well be that they were a part of a larger group, a caravan perhaps, going along so that they weren't alone and vulnerable on that, on that trip. But it's still a long trip. Uh, by many accounts from what we understand of the geography of the time, it was probably about 70 miles from Moab back to southern Judah, Bethlehem. 70 miles on foot, that might take you upwards of a week to make that journey. 
Who knows what might happen along the way? Any number of dangers could potentially happen. Where you go, I will go. And notice, she, Ruth has never been to Bethlehem before. Ruth has never been to Judah. Ruth has never been outside of Moab, most likely. And so basically, she's making a commitment here to the unknown. Where you go, I haven't seen it yet with my own eyes. I don't know what's going to happen along the road. And I don't know what's going to happen to us when we get to Bethlehem. Because you've told me that there are no guarantees when we get to Bethlehem. But where you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to be like your shadow, right? I'm sticking with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. And where you stay, I will stay. This is not a short-term commitment, is it? This is not a, hey, I'll go to Bethlehem and I'll check it out. I'll go with you and if I don't like it, then I'll come back home. No, she's saying, you're going back to live there, I'm going to live there. The word that's used here is of lodging, of the place where you live. Where you live, where you stay, where you put your head at night, that's where I'm going to be with you, wherever you are. I'm going to stay there with you. Your people will be my people. So she's making a a cultural transition here, isn't she? Of, I am leaving my people, Moab, I'm leaving my family behind. And I'm going to be with you. You're now my relative. You're now my relative, and your relatives will become my relatives. Your country people will become my country people. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And here is the climax of Ruth's declaration of faith, is your God, my God. Your God, my God. And in spite of Naomi's imperfections, in spite of that whole family's imperfections, in spite of the imperfections of the time, of the days of the judges, it appears that Naomi did communicate to her family, to her daughters-in-law, who this God is. Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true and living God. And she says, He's now my God. So this is a commitment of faith. It is a commitment of worship, a commitment to leave her allegiances behind in Moab and to bring on a new allegiance, a new loyalty to the God of Israel. Your God will be my God. And I'm making a commitment to you till death. That's why... Sometimes this language is used in wedding ceremonies because this is a very strong language of commitment. Where you go, I'm going. Where you stay, I'm staying. Your people are my people, and I'm going to stay with you till we die. Where you die, I will die. And it could be taken there that she's making a commitment to the Israelite people and to the Israelite God that would extend even beyond Naomi's lifetime. Because there's nothing here that says they're going to die at the same time. Right? Naomi's much older. But she's saying, if you die in Bethlehem, I'm going to stay in Bethlehem. And I will die there too. They're going to become my people. There's no coming back. So I'm not just going there for your lifetime. I'm going there for my lifetime. As long as I live, Ruth says. And there I will be buried. 
And, and in the ancient world, you have to think about the significance of even that. Because the burial places were sacred sites. They were you know, special sites. You see, like in the book of Genesis, where Abraham buried Sarah. And you have uh, Isaac and Rebekah there. And you have Jacob and Leah there in that same cave of Machpelah. That was, and, it was, and he bought that piece of ground within the promised land. And it became a special place. And so for her to say, I don't want to come back here to be buried where I was born. I'm going to stay there and be buried there with you with your people, and with your God. She's making a full life commitment that extends even beyond the lifetime of Naomi to her entire life for Ruth. And then she ends the whole thing off with a curse on herself. And the language that she uses here is language that we find several times throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Testament, that is used of curse-type language when someone is making a solemn oath or a solemn promise, they will attach sometimes a curse like this that basically says, if I break this covenant with you, if I break my promise, then let God rain down his wrath on me. May God kill me. And she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So she's calling on God to rain down his vengeance on her, if she forsakes her commitment to Naomi. And then we see in verse number 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi gets the idea. She gets the picture. You're not going anywhere. You're staying with me for life. And your people, my people are going to be your people. My God's going to be your God. And it is an incredible expression of love and loyalty. And here's the thing that we briefly mentioned last week, is the whole time that Naomi is bitter and kind of feeling this weight of loneliness, this weight of loss, and feeling this sense of bitterness as they're walking back to Bethlehem, And this whole time, she's encouraging her daughters-in-law to stay here, go back home. Orpah, Ruth, stay here, go back home. The the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. It's more bitter for me than for you. And the whole time that she's doing that, she is trying to send away the very instrument of grace that God is providing for her good. So, Have we ever been in a situation where a trial, a devastation, something really hard happening to us in our lives? And at that moment, just by the nature of it, we can't see anything. We can't see why this is happening, what's the good that's going to come out of it, what's the purpose in it. And sometimes in those moments, when we are hurting, when we're grieving, when we're angry, we can actually, without even trying to, work contrary to the providential purposes of God. But here's the thing I'm thankful for in Scripture and from God's viewpoint, from His world, you can't upset what God's doing. You can try to work against it. And Naomi did her best. 
go back home, go back to your, your mother's house, take a husband here, stay here. And God moved in the heart of Ruth, didn't he? God moved in the heart of Ruth. This is, this is sovereign grace. Moving in the life of Ruth, and she is not going to let Naomi send her away. And she is going to become her light. She's going to become her rescue uh, from this loss and loneliness and disappointment that she has experienced in Moab. She tried to get rid of it. God wouldn't let her. Praise God for that, right? Praise God that God knows better than we do. God knows the, the whole thing. He sees the whole picture because he sees the beginning from the end, all of eternity. And he knows exactly what we need and exactly what he's accomplishing in our lives. And we may make mistakes and make foolish decisions, but God, God's plan for us will not be thwarted. We make plans that fail. God makes plans that succeed. And that's grace in this story. The fact that he would not let Ruth go back home is his sovereign grace in Naomi's life. And I don't know that I've ever thought about this comparison before today. Uh, I've, I've read Ruth many times. I've, I've taught and preached Ruth before. I, I don't know that I've ever thought of this comparison before today that these two daughters-in-law of Naomi are much like the two thieves hanging on the cross. And that at the beginning of the story, they both are in the same boat. And they both seem to be in, with the same uh, response. So the two thieves are rejecting Jesus, they're mocking Jesus, these two daughters-in-law, they're saying uh, to Naomi, no, we're going to go with you. We're going to stay with you. But in the end, there's a split, isn't there? And, and one goes off the natural direction, what would be most likely expected in that situation. Orpah goes off and goes back home, what was probably the normal thing to do. The thief on the cross continued to mock, continued to reject that's what's natural for a broken sinner's heart. But for Ruth and the believing thief on the cross, something happened along the way, didn't it? Something happened along the way, and there was a, a divergence where these people become contrasted with the ones who did not believe. So the thief who believed is contrasted with the thief who did not believe. Ruth is contrasted with Orpah, who went back home. And both Ruth and this believing thief on the cross become models of really the extraordinary, the supernatural, of what God does in someone's heart that is not expected. And it, it just highlights again God's grace and how his grace works in the hearts of people. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you can't see it. can't see it. You have no idea how it's working. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. The Holy Spirit does his work, and all you can see is the end result after he's been there. And in Ruth, you can see the end result. 
after the Spirit's been there. And Ruth expresses faith in God and loyalty to Naomi. And so the whole story of Ruth is teaching us many things. It's teaching us about the providence of God, about God's the way that God works in, on the grand scale, but also in individual people's lives. But this particular portion in Ruth chapter 1 really highlights the grace of God at the, in the hearts of individual people and how his grace turns people toward one another in love and loyalty, how his grace turns hearts back to himself in worship and faith. And so I, I pray that this passage will be helpful to you in just thinking about the way that God's grace works in our hearts and also the kind of love and loyalty that, that should flow from our hearts to the Lord and also to the other people around us that we are committed to, to our spouses, to our children, to our parents. Uh, this is, this is a, a life commitment, but in particular, this language really serves to show how we should express our love and loyalty and commitment to the Lord, doesn't it? Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you send me, I'll go. Wherever I die, that's where I'll die. Lord, I, I trust you, I believe you, I follow you. And so may God be praised as his grace and his providence are put on display in this story. Will you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, our God, we just thank you for this story. We thank you for these real people, Naomi and Ruth. We thank you for the way that you worked in their lives, for the way that you are weaving their circumstances together to accomplish your purposes. And we thank you for the lessons of faith, of love, of loyalty that this passage teaches us tonight. Lord, help us to remember your word. Help us to continue to meditate on it. And Lord, I pray that uh, your word, as it rests in our hearts, would continue to uh, mold us into the image of Christ. And Lord, it's for your glory that we pray these things. In the name of Christ, amen.